0: Good morning. We are continuing today. Oh, I'm John Malella, by the way. Those of you that don't know me, one of the elders here at Gateway. We're continuing in our series, Rescued. There it is on the screen. And we're going to be talking today about Moses. Uh, one of uh, God's uh, special, special people uh, chosen for a, an immense task. And what we're going to look at today is just how that interaction worked when uh, God said, tag your it." And we're going to look at Moses' reaction. And I think there's going to be some good stuff for us to, to take away. So uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. We're in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 22. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to to look at that. Um, uh, Those of you that are watching from home, welcome. Uh, Hopefully where you are, you're enjoying some uh, spring spring weather also, like we are here in northern Virginia. I'll try to make eye contact with you, as well as the rest of everybody here. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 22. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? We're going to stand for this part, if, if, uh, if you could, out of reverence for God's word. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I've promised to bring you up out of your misery into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. You may be seated. So where are we in our story? Well, by the time of this scene, Moses is about 80 years old, and he has spent the last 40 years doing the unglamorous work of tending sheep in the desert hills of East Arabia. And did you notice, they don't even belong to him. They're actually his uh, father-in-law, Jethro's. Sheep. You know, Moses' life can be kind of divided into three blocks of 40 years. So the first 40, Ed talked about a couple weeks ago, um, when Moses was the prince of Egypt, uh, educated, wealthy, powerful, and probably slated one day to become the Pharaoh, um, and had been looking at the oppression of his people and planned one day, mm, I'm gonna fix this. I'm, I'm gonna take over and I'm gonna free my kinsmen, my fellow Israelites from, from slavery. You know, that was, that was his plan and it was a good one. It was airtight, but in a heartbeat, he lost it all. He killed an Egyptian that was beating on an Israelite. Uh, he tried to cover it up and he found himself running for his life, leaving everything behind, his money, his power, his luxury, his reputation, and his future gone, shattered in a heartbeat. That was the end of his first 40. And Moses spends his next 40 in the new normal. He's doing a job that Egyptians, let alone Egyptian royalty, uh, would consider absolutely beneath them. He's tending sheep. I love the phrase that Ed used a couple weeks ago in his sermon to describe this. He said, he said, God stripped away the Egyptian from the Egyptian prince, and then he stripped away the prince. So that's where we're at. So Moses is 80 years old now, and even though he's going to live longer than most people, he's an old dude. Uh, and he's been shepherding now for 40 years, and he finds himself out one day with the herd, and he's, he's kind of far from home, uh, from home base, from Jethro's home base. He's probably sought out some prime grazing land for the sheep, and he sees something odd. There's not much out in the desert to see. Uh, There's rocks, there's some small bushes, and he sees sees in one of these small bushes there's a fire, Mm. but the the bush itself is not being incinerated. And he thinks, well, there hasn't been any lightning strikes or anything to cause the fire. Um, How is it that that bush is on fire and it's not burning up and burning away? His curiosity gets the better of him, and he walks over to see it. And little does he know, he's about to be launched into a life-changing encounter with God that will not only rock his own life, but rock the life of the world. Let's pray. Lord, who is um, who's equal to this? I mean, to, to even speak this, to preach this, to understand this. Even those of us, Lord, that have known you for, for years, we realize we're just beginners. I also realize, Lord, that we come to you today, we we have the entire uh, spectrum of burdens and concerns. And I mean, some of us, God, we're so racked with anxiety and fatigue and other things we we can barely pay attention. So I pray for us today, Lord, that you would, um, we know you always work through your word. We know that we pray today that this would be especially meaningful and powerful for us and that we would not leave here unchanged. That's my prayer, God, that we would not leave here unchanged. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So Moses is at the bush and he hears a voice and the voice calls out his name twice. Moses, Moses. In ancient Semitic culture, to call someone's name twice is a way of expressing endearment. Uh, Hearing his name twice would have assured Moses that he was speaking with someone who cared about him. And he responds with a simple phrase, here I am. Um, in, in Hebrew, which is the language that's, that's originally, this was written in, that's under our English Bible, our English translation, it's hineni, um, wh- why, don't, why don't you say that with me? Um, one, two, three, hineni. Okay, I think one of you did that. Um, hineni, very simple phrase, it means here I am. Now you can say, you know Hebrew. Here I am. There are six people in the Bible who answer God's calling their name with, here I am. Uh, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, and Ananias in the New Testament. I mean, it's it's an all-star team. The voice then tells him something odd. The voice says, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Don't come any closer because the ground is holy. We see one of the grand themes here of Exodus, the theme of holiness and presence, what that looks like. Don't come any closer, Moses, not because you're going to somehow contaminate God or pollute God, but because God is holy. And what does that mean? It means he's other, he's so different. And that holiness is actually, for one who is not prepared, it's dangerous. It might kill you if you're not prepared. God is protecting Moses. You know, anyone who's ever worked with electricity, you, you understand this, right? Um, um, or or uh, Eric Knox. Um, uh, my, my Eric Knox can tell you about uh, the shielding that's needed in a nuclear reactor. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's extremely dangerous. So for Moses' protection, he's told don't come any closer. And God tells him to take off his shoes, a sign of respect or reverence or, or even a sign of hospitality. And then before Moses can ask, okay, wait, who's who exactly talking to me from the bush? God tells him, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And instantly Moses Moses gets something, something clicks. Wait, wait, so the stories that I've heard um, about Abraham, you know, meeting, meeting God and um, and. and And Abraham's son, Isaac, also having encounters with God. And and Jacob, uh, Isaac's son. You mean they're true? I mean, they're true. The God of Israel is real. He's real. And once this hits home, Moses' first instinct is a very human one. He hides his face. In the ancient Near East, it was believed no one could see God and live. God is so powerful, so different, so other, that human eyes cannot behold him and survive. You know, this is a very human reaction. It's not just the ancient Near East. Um, From the beginning, what the Bible calls uh, the fall. Uh, Those of you that are familiar with this, going back to the book before this in the book of Genesis, that perfect relationship between human beings and God, a relationship of trust and love and delight was broken. And from then on, we've all inherited what can be called spiritual autism. We can't look God in the face. Think about the irony here. Moses is encountering here the one person, the one person who knows him absolutely and loves him perfectly. And his response is what? It's one of fear. I can't look. So this voice goes on to identify itself. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to stop here for a second. You know, God could have said, I am the God who created everything, and that would have been true. He could have said, I am the God over life and death, and that would have been true. He could have said, I am the God who is so far above you that you'll never be able to fully understand me, and that would have been true. But he chooses, God chooses, to identify himself as the God of of his three friends, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the ones to whom he gave promises. What are the promises? Promises of increase, promises of blessing, promises of uh, that they will have their own home, their own land. Uh, Listen to Genesis 17, uh, verses 4 through 8. And this is God speaking. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father... It's a wordplay there. Father of a multitude of nations, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So where, where are we at with the promises here? Uh, well, we learned uh, in Exodus chapter 1, the Israelites are exceedingly fruitful. Um, Exodus 1, verse 7, the Israelites uh, multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous the land was filled with them. Okay, promise fulfilled. Promise fulfilled. Promise number one fulfilled. They have increased. Uh, now it's time for promise number two. It's time to give them a home. So we can't read Moses' mind at this point, but he's got to be blown away. Wait, God... Your people have been waiting 400 years to go home. And in effect, God is the one who says, I'm the God who gave these promises. I've been here the whole time, Moses. The whole time. You know, Ed said this two weeks ago, um, and we sang it this morning. God, God's always at work, even when we don't feel it. Uh, I've, I've been there the whole time, watching and listening. Uh, and this is what God said. Let me tell you what I've seen um, Moses. In effect, this is what God says. As you stand in front of me, too afraid to look at me, I have looked. And I've seen the oppression of my people. I see the beatings. I see the abuse. I see the slave labor with no pay. I've seen it. And I've listened. I've heard the weeping every time the lash bites into another man's back. I hear the cries of anguish, of helplessness. I hear and see it all. And enough is enough. I'm bringing them home, just as I promised my friend Abraham. Well, at this point, Moses has to be delighted. You can almost hear him cheering inwardly when God says, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses has got to be thinking, Yeah, God, it's finally happening. You're doing it. Until... God says, "I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." Wait, what? What? Wait, what? What? Um, wait, somewhere Some, some wrong with my hearing. Um, God, you know I'm 80. You know the ears don't work as good as they used to, and you know sometimes the the wool from the, the sheep kind of swirls around and uh, gets gets in my gets in my ear a little bit. You know, I, I thought I heard you say, I thought I heard you say you wanted me to bring your people out of Egypt. I must have misheard that. Yeah, maybe I should see a specialist. Um, really, God, me? Me, God? God, don't you remember? I tried that once and I failed. I tried that, God. I failed. Can I say this? We, we American Christians... Um, we are so success-oriented, because that's our culture. Um, we don't have a theology of failure. We don't, we don't know what to think of this. Somebody tries to plant a church or start a ministry or, or even has it in their heart to do something good, do something for God, and they fail. We don't know what to think of it. You know, there, there are no conferences that are, that are hosted by um, people who tried to plant churches and failed. <laughs> we, we don't have that in our American Christianity. We don't have to think of, of failure. So let, let me move us in a direction with a, with a profound theological truth. When God gives a vision, he puts it to death. When God gives a vision, he puts it to death. God gives a goal or a picture of how things can be, a yearning in a human heart to do something for him, and then he puts it to death. Well, we, we see this throughout the Bible, the life of Joseph, okay? He knew early on he would be a ruler, even over his parents and family. But God put that vision to death. I love that story because I think if, if that were us, we, we, would have, we would have seen the young Joseph and said, Joseph, you know, what you, need? you need an MBA. We need to send you to grad school. You know what God did? God sent him into slavery in jail. God put that vision to death. After Moses, we see this in the life of David, who was anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. David, you're, you're, you're going to be the king of Israel. Well, the next 10 years, uh, he spends running away from King Saul with a band of misfits living in the hills. And in the New Testament, Jesus' disciples, their hopes of a triumphant Messiah, restoring the kingdom of Israel God to Israel, hopes devastated on a Friday afternoon as his tattered corpse hung on a Roman cross. God gives a vision and he puts it to death. Why? Why, God? Because death has to come before life. Death has to come before life. Remember what Jesus said in John twelve twenty four. He said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. God gives a vision and puts it to death that he might raise it to life. We've seen this in the life of this church. We have the building that we're in. Okay. Do you know that this is the second building campaign? We had we had one prior to this one. Um, now, we can look at the circumstances of that and say, well, uh, the, the, the economy tanked, the housing market tanked. Yeah, okay, that's, that's the outward circumstance. But that vision had to die for a while. Some of you also know the the vision of this church was to have, uh, and this is going back over a decade, to have 500 people, 500 people, by a certain time. That didn't happen. That vision died. But I can see now that that vision has become a reality. In my own life, I'm going to get personal for a second. Um, I had a a vision to to, uh, plant a satellite of Gateway about a decade ago. Um, It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. And you could could point to a variety of reasons for that. Um, Well, maybe don't have the gifting or maybe You know, it wasn't the right time. Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. But the the bottom line is, God gives a vision and he puts it to death so that he might raise it to life. So to God's charge, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Moses has a simple question. Wait, who who am I? Who am I? I have to say, brothers and sisters, the call to Moses uh, looks uh, absolutely overwhelming. And I will say this also. The call of God, Often looks overwhelming. It's too big to handle. You know, as Paul says in his letter about, um, he says, "We we um, we who know Jesus, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know, to to tell people and to and to demonstrate Jesus to the world. And who's equal to such a task? It's too big. Yeah, for us it is. I also think Moses is probably puzzled. He said, "God, you you said you were going to." Um, wait, wait, God, you said you were going to bring your people out of Egypt, and then you said you're, you're sending me to do it, so which is it? Are you doing it, or am I doing it? Is it like mm, 90% you, God, and like 10% me? Or is it maybe like mm, 99.99% you, God, or is, and like .01, did I get the math right? .01% me? God, is that, is that how it works? I don't think it works that way. Without God, Moses can't. Without Moses, God won't. Without God, Moses can't. Without Moses, God won't. So the answer to the question, is it God or is it Moses, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. He's going to do it. Uh, He's gonna send you to do it and he'll be with you. You're going to be able to do it because ultimately he's doing it with you. But Moses is having a hard time with this. This is the beginning of of the the protests. We're gonna see this more in the next chapter. Um, Who am I, God? And I wonder if he's thinking, God, do you know who you're talking to? Um, The last 40 years I've tended someone's sheep. Um, God, let me tell you what my day looks like. Um, I get up in the morning, okay? I count all the sheep to make sure they're still there. Um, It's still dark out. Um, uh, The first thing I think of is is, uh, they have to eat. So I have to, I got to find them food and I have to make sure they have water. It's a desert. I got to make sure they have water. Um, And a lot of times during that day, there's predators, right? Because that's fresh meat and I have to protect them. And, and you know, there's at least every day, there's at least one or two of them that stray because sheep, even though they are, um, they're stubborn, Um, they're going to stray. And they're also prone to disease, not stupid but prone to disease. So so every day there's at least a few of them that I'm gonna gonna nurse back to health. Um, And they're not even mine. That's my day. And I have done that over and over and over and over again for the last 40 years. Moses, do you realize what you've been doing for 40 years? You thought you were just tending sheep, you were being trained. You were caring for sheep that were not your own. You were feeding them, caring them, defending them. You know, that's exactly what you're gonna do for the next 40 years with God's sheep, his people Israel. You will be the one leading them, defending them, feeding them, giving them water. I've been training you. You know, brothers and sisters, do um, do you realize that you're being trained? You're being trained. We are being trained. You're being trained individually, we're being trained as a church. What does the training look like? Your training does not look like mine. What does it look like? It may look like a drudge job. It may look like a job where you labor in obscurity. It may be a tough marriage. It may be unwanted singleness. It may be a wayward child. It may be a physical challenge. And I don't say any of this lightly. I, please understand me. I don't say any of this lightly. I'm not glib about this. These are hard things. These are hard things, but they're part of of our training. You are being trained for impact on the world. You're being trained to be and to do. To be like what? Well, to be like Jesus. God is building his son in you. Those of us who are connected to God through Jesus Christ, Luke tells us in his gospel that the student who is fully trained will be like his master. We are being trained for impact on the world. We're being trained. Now, if Moses gets this, he's not really showing that it's clicking because he instantly develops a case of what I call what if-itis. What if-itis? What if this happens, God? What if this happens? What if they don't believe me, God? You want me to go to the elders of Israel? I get it, which is cool, right? a, A posse, God. I get it. You want me to... You want me, you don't want, no solo acts with God's people. I'm going to get a posse together. I'm going to go to the the, um, elders of Israel, okay, and I'm I'm going to tell them that, um, who who sent me? What if they ask, who sent me? Moses said to God, verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you." You know, the word translated I am um, in our English Bibles has four consonants in the Hebrew language. Uh, Y-H-W-H, you you may have also heard it as uh, pronounced as Yahweh. Um, And in our English Bibles, that's the capitalized Lord. When you see L-O-R-D capitalized in the Old Testament, that's, that's the word behind that. Um, Yahweh uh, can also be translated "I am, I am who I am." Uh, could also Moses could have also heard it as, "I cause to be because I cause to be." Was this new? Was this the first time Israel is, is uh, the Jewish people were hearing this, uh, this name? I, I don't think so. Uh, in Genesis 4:25, We read, at that time, people began to call on the name of of, I am, of the Lord. Um, uh, So it doesn't appear that this is a new revelation, but this is a a re-revelation. See, God's people have lived now for hundreds of years immersed in a society of multiple gods. Their understanding, the lens that they use to view the God of their fathers, eh, it's gotten scratched and blurry over the years they've probably forgotten much. And I think another reason for this re-revelation is to counter one human tendency we have with dealing with God. Um, I have a very sophisticated theological term for it. I call it the golden corral syndrome. Not gonna knock golden corral. Some of you may go there for lunch after this service. However, it's a buffet. When we put our thoughts together of what God is, or we, we deal with God, a lot of times the human tendency is we want a buffet. We want to write our own menu. So we go to this buffet, the theological buffet, and we, we fill our plates. Oh, that's love. Oh, love, like that. I'm going to take some of that. And Okay, ooh, authoritarianism. Um, now, I don't know if I want, well, or maybe I want a strong God. I'm, I'm going I'm to fill up on that one. Um, uh, wrath? Mm, no, I don't think. No, that that'll definitely give me heartburn. I don't know if I want that. Um, uh, and we we treat God like a buffet, uh, and we sit down with this with knife and fork, with this mess on our plate, and we say, "This is God," and God says, "No, no, that's not who I am. That's called idolatry." No, you. God, God will not be shaped into our, our image that we want him to be. Because he says, I am who I am. I'm not what you want me to be. I am who I am. I am who I am. So Moses, he's encountered the flame, and he's heard the name. Uh, sorry to get cheap. Uh, God tells him the fame. God forecasts what's going to happen. Uh, It's going to take some more fire, but the Israelites are going to leave Egypt, and they're going to leave rich, and everyone will know it. There will be no room for doubt that God rescues his people. You know, this is usually the part of the sermon where I would have a a punchy little story um, or anecdote to drive home my points, and I don't have that today. Here's what I do have. I have a straight-up invitation or maybe it's more of a challenge. Some of you have been given a vision. You've been given a vision. and I don't mean necessarily a supernatural encounter, um, but God has placed in your heart something for you to do, and you're being trained for it. Is it time? Is it time for you to do something about it? I love how Moses was drawn to the bush by natural curiosity. right, when he went over there, he didn't say, now is the time for me to fulfill my calling. No, he said, wow, what what is that? That's odd. Are you waiting for God to do something spectacular? When he might be trying to get your attention somehow uh, and you're resisting. You know, God's will can be hard to do. But sometimes I think the only thing harder than doing God's will is not doing it. God's will is hard to do, but the only thing harder than not doing it Uh, The only thing harder is not doing it. You know, Moses is, um, he's going to put up a fight to this. And if you go to chapter 4, you'll read more about the protests. But he ultimately yields to this call. Are you willing to yield? Are you willing to yield to God's call on your life? I want to make one last point. We did a little Hebrew lesson today. One last one. Let me give you another one. You know, the bush with the fire in it, the Hebrew word for bush is sinah. Uh, It sounds like Sinai. And there's a lot of these word plays in the Bible that just don't come out in translation. Mount Sinai, some of you know, the later chapters, there's going to be fire on the mountain. And the people will be commanded, just as Moses was, don't come any closer because it's dangerous. And I think most of the time, honestly, if we're honest, we're good with that. We're good keeping our distance to God. Our normal human reaction is to keep our distance from God. But I've got such good news for you. God has made a way for us to come close. The entire Old Testament time of God training his people, developing that vision that he would one day send someone like Moses to rescue his people, that vision has become reality in Jesus Christ. We don't need layers of shielding or insulation. All we need to come into God's presence is Jesus. Very simple. What does that mean? To say I'm in. To mean it from the heart to say, yes, I want you, God, because you wanted me first. I'm in, I'm in. So let's, let's pray. Stand with me, please. And this is not a command, and I don't mean this as a gimmick, but I invite you to take off your shoes. Lord, we, we, um, we're in your presence now, not because we've done anything to get here, but because you have invited us in your presence. And Lord, I uh, I imagine there might be some people here that have never, I don't know, have never dared to come close to you. They're on the outside of faith. And I know that you have made the way, and I pray for them that this would be the day for them. This would be the day that they step in. They step into the fire but it's a good fire. Lord, the rest of us, you have put calls on our lives. And our normal human reaction is to be afraid. Our normal human reaction is to cover our faces. Our normal human reaction is to say, do you know what my day looks like? And we forget that you're you're in those days. We we forget that you are training us, Lord. God, because of you, our lives are invested with meaning and purpose. And we can't thank you enough for that. Lord, as much as we are able now, and I know that we even need you to do this, we open ourselves to you this moment, to say whatever that next step is for us, for the call that you've placed on our lives, whatever that next step is, we step into it. We need you to even do that for us, to help us with that. And I, I thank you so much for this encouragement where you say, you, you're going to be with us, whatever that looks like, you're going to be with us in it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You are you are incredibly good to us. You don't waste a single failure or mistake. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.